Thank you, Jesus. Somebody shall bless us, Lord. I believe God's getting ready to do just that. Hallelujah. 1 Samuel chapter number 18, verses number 6. If you have your Bible or your electronic device, lift it above your head and somebody shout, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer and not just a hearer. And my life is the better after hearing, obeying, and applying a word from the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. First Samuel chapter number 18, verses 6. The Bible declares, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Made a distinction. Saul, you killed a thousand. But David killed tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. Look, look, look at how, how the king is rationalizing this thing in his mind. It's messed up. They said he killed tens of thousands, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? Mm. And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul, and that's why... You have to bring your thoughts under subjection, and you can't allow just wild things to hang out there because when, 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 your, when your spirit becomes bad, when your spirit, when your heart becomes corrupt towards individuals, it's like, it's like a sign that says you can rest here to the devil. And because he wouldn't get his heart right, he opened himself up for demonic oppression. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house. While David was playing the lyre, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand. Look what the man of God did. He hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him. This happened two times, twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, and he departed from him, Saul. Father, I want to thank you once again for this opportunity to minister the word of God. Again, I ask you to let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, let them be acceptable in your sight. God, there's somebody that you wanted to minister to, encourage, strengthen, check, and even correct today. And God, thank you for using me as a catalyst, God, from heaven to earth, God, to minister this word. So at this moment, God, I decrease that you might increase in me, hiding myself behind the cross. So today, men may not see Greg, but all honor and all glory goes to you, God. And it is in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says, so we've been ministering uh, for the past couple of weeks on this thought, it's bigger than you. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's bigger than you. It really is bigger than you. And sometimes in our faith, uh, sometimes as a church, sometimes personally, we make our salvation, we make Christendom about us. It's about me moving ahead. It's about me gaining. It's about my prosperity. When all actuality, uh, for God so love, how, who, who, y'all? The world, everybody. Amen? And so um, I want to continue on in this same vein. And I was sharing with the intercessory team this morning that the messages point to that thing, but they're, they're isolated messages, individual messages all within themselves. And this particular message is of that sort. So the first question that I have today um, is simply this. What should be done with open and exposed sin in the church? <laughs> what, should, what should be done about that when you got a deacon sleeping with somebody that's not his wife? And everybody knows. <laughs> Folk that ain't even in your church coming to you telling you. <laughs> what, do you what do you do? What do you do? What do you do when, when the first lady has makeup caked on her face um, every other Sunday because her husband is beating on her. Open sin. Open. <laughs> Open. What do you do when you have a pastor beating his flock over a watch? <laughs> what do you do with open and exposed sin. What do you do when you got, listen, the baddest musician, the baddest musician on the coast, 
but he got a husband. But I don't want to address it because I don't want to lose, I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't want to lose my man. What do you do? What do you do? Here's the question that I want to ask first before I go to what do you do with it. The question I want to answer first is how does open sin actually affect the church? When you got, when you got mess, when it's an elephant in the room spewing feces all over the place, how does it actually affect the church? And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. It's five things I want you to jot down. Two things, five things. Number one, it becomes a demonic magnet that says, welcome here. Yeah, because watch this, sin is a tool, not just a tool, but it's a toy of the enemy. And whenever you embrace one of his toys, you're saying, I want you to. So whenever it could be sin in, in this house or it could be sin in your house, whenever it's something there and you're not dealing with it, you are opening your house up to demonic oppression. Number two, it encourages others to cast off restraints. It encourages others to cast off restraint. Uh, when a pastor get tired of his wife and he go get another one, that same spirit, watch this, it attacks every marriage in the house. And any marriage that's on life support is going to go ahead and dissolve and die. So when you have open mess in the church, it encourages other people, well, shoot, if he can do it, I might as well do it. <laughs> Number three causes questioning of leadership competence and care, both competence and care, because you have to ask the question, if this is going on in the house, does the pastor know what he's doing? Number one. Number two, if I find myself in that situation, does he care enough to even say something to me to spare my soul? Number four, hinders the flow of the spirit. In essence, it grieves the spirit. If you want to stop a move of God in a house, all you got to do is allow sin to just go. Just roll. Okay? Number five, robs the body of its test external testimony. You inviting folk to come to your church and they like, shoot, there's more mess in your church than it is in the club. Might as well stay in the club. Quiet up in here already. So in essence, what we're talking about is, everybody shout, church discipline. Church, church discipline. Now, I take no pleasure at all in ministering this particular message, and I kind of talk to God because I wanted to preach something else. But because he loves you more than I do, he knows what the church needs, and I'm going to submit to his will. When we speak of church discipline, here's the definition of church discipline. It is, it involves correction confrontation, and if necessary, exclusion. Church discipline involves a corrective course. It, it, involves, it involves confrontation. I, I, I have to confront you concerning what's going on in your life. And if necessary, we don't like this one at all. There are times when it involves exclusion. Before I, before I deal with the components of church discipline, let me show you God's heart concerning church discipline. In the book of Hebrews, chapter number 12, verses number 5, the writer declares, Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses a son? This should be the heart of any discipline. It's, it's relational. There, there's a, it's, I'm, I'm approaching you like a, like a dad to, to a daughter, a dad, a father, to a son. It says discipline it says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart. Everybody shout, don't lose heart. Don't, don't lose heart. I, I notice my children from time to time when I discipline them, they deflate. They deflate. And I don't want you to deflate. It, it'd be one thing if I was saying something and, and you know what I'm saying, you ain't do nothing. <laughs> it'd be one thing if I was, you know, just picking on you and, and nothing, was, nothing was said inappropriate. So if I'm disciplining you, know I'm doing it out of a heart of love. Don't deflate. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, don't deflate. Um, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his sons. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone, so everybody shout, everyone undergoes discipline. Said everyone. Everyone, from, from us, if you're a son or daughter, you undergo discipline. If you are a student and you turn in a late assignment, you undergo discipline. If you are an employee and you show up late for work, you get points and you are disciplined. 
everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all if you don't. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They discipline us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. 11, and we'll move on. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, whether you're the child or the parent. And woe to anybody in a leadership position that loves discipline, that loves getting on folk. The devil, you got the wrong spirit, the wrong motives. It's not pleasant, watch this, as a, as a son in the gospel, it's not pleasant when I receive it from my fathers and mentors in the faith. By the same token, it is never pleasant when I have to confront somebody about something that's going on in their lives. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But here's the good news. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Can the church say amen? amen. So I want to deal with this idea, what should be done with open and exposed sin in the church? Um, because from time to time, it's a reality in churches. It's been a reality in this church where there's a big mess going on and people are walking around like nothing is happening. And Matthew 18, 15, we'll start out there as a direction as how to deal with open sin in the body of Christ. The Bible declares, Matthew 18, 15, if your brother or sister sins, go point out their faults just between the two of you. Now, this is where church discipline often goes wrong because before you confront them, you already don't told everybody else. And woe to the pastor that used the platform as a bully to deal with if situation that you should have dealt with privately. Now, now last Sunday, I did somewhat of a, a semi-rebuke correction, but I ain't, I ain't no wimp. Everybody who I needed to talk to personally, one-on-one, -on -one, I had already did it before I did it publicly. So I didn't use this platform to correct the one Come on, somebody. And beat up the 99 when I should have just went and addressed the one. Or y'all with me in this place. So it says, go to them one-on-one. -on -one, point out their wrong. Watch this. Point out their wrong. Give them an opportunity to explain themselves because it could be a miscommunication. Somebody lied on me, Pastor. So give, give, them, give them an opportunity to explain, and then you give them corrective measures. Okay, this is what we're not doing no more. This is the direction that we're going. And oftentimes, there are a lot of situations that are resolved, that, that people can go on in ministry because I ain't talked to nobody before I came to you. I'm coming to you. Okay, we both agree that this is not good. This is how we're going to move on, and, and everything is everything. It's good when they listen. But 16 says, but if they will not listen. Here's the next step. Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So this is step number two is actually an act of humility because you say as a leader, you say as a parent, you say as a pastor, you say as an employer, you say, you know what, maybe, maybe I didn't communicate effectively. And that's why they continue to move like they're moving. Or, or maybe, you know what, you know what, maybe it's something that I didn't hear and I need to bring somebody along with me that can hear a little bit better than me, that can interpret things, because maybe I didn't hear clearly what they were saying. So the next step is take two or three along with you that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Hmm. 17, if they still refuse to listen, this is the writer says go public with it. Tell it to the church. Go public. Tell if if I've if I've really erred in the past when I've done discipline, this is where I erred. And um, y'all just kind of hear my heart on this. I was primarily focusing on a counseling code of ethics instead of the biblical standard. The counseling code of ethics says what stays in the counseling room stays. What's said in the counseling room stays in the counseling room. Um, but the Bible's position is when someone refuses to listen to correction, you tell it to the whole church. And this is the reason I feel I've erred, because those individuals, they hid in the pews, 
and they spewed lies. I had high integrity and I said nothing to protect them. But they, watch this, when they told a story, they told it with additives and preservatives. So people are coming to me like, and they, a lot of, only a couple will come. Everybody else looking at me, you know, side eye. Like, man, pastor wrong. And when they do come to me, I'm trying to guard their reputation and not tell everything that went down. But watch this, they told everything plus. They said what I did, but they didn't say why I, why I had to do what I did. They told me what I, girl, pastor was talking like, he raised his voice like that. But they, they didn't say why I raised my voice the way I raised my voice. They told it in a way that slanted favor towards them. And before you know it, I'm standing up on a Sunday morning preaching to a divided crowd because I didn't go public with it. If they still refuse to listen, 17, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. This definition, everybody shall take your time, Pastor. I'm going to take my time today. I'm going to take my time because I want you to hear my heart. I want you to hear my heart. Church discipline involves correction, confrontation, and if necessary, and if necessary, exclusion. This excluding sometimes is from leadership. You, you can no longer hold this posi position of eldership. You can no longer hold this position of deacon. And then there are times when it's not just a position, you gotta go. You, got, you gotta, please don't come back next Sunday. And there have been several times in the past I've had to do this. I've had to do it. Um, and let me, let me just warn you, this is not a, please don't make this a Sunday dinner message of gossip. So I'm going to use a couple of examples of the past. And if you know the people, you just know them. If you don't know the people, don't ask about them. Before we have to use you as an example. So I was counseling with this individual. They had a, um, they had a, uh, they had a sexual, no, they had a sexual addiction. Okay, they had a sexual addiction, and I was working through them. And this is what I loved about them. Every time they fall, they would come and tell me that they fail. They come and tell me, and they would repent, and they were remorseful, and all this other kind of good stuff. And um, I woke, God woke me up. It was like two o'clock in the morning. Two o'clock in the morning, I woke straight up. God woke me up, and I heard him say, they slept with 10 people in your church. 10 people in your church. Now, here's the problem. At this particular time, we were a church of 50 adults. So this joker don't slept with 20% of our population. I heard God say they got to go. Now, I didn't, talk, I didn't announce it to the church. I didn't tell nobody. I went to them privately. I even put it on myself. I was like, look, I'm not a good pastor. <laughs> Evidently, I can't do this good. You need to find a better pastor than me. And I dismissed them, and I told them that you got to go. I love you, but you got to go. Why did you do that, pastor? Because I didn't want my church to become a predator's ground for this individual with their uncontrollable sexual appetite. Now, at the particular time, I had a whole bunch of side eyes looking at me crazy like, man, Pastor, I can't believe you did that. But I did it for y'all's sake, not for my ego. Several individuals, the same situation when I see it. See, I don't mind. Let me, let me stand up here. Let me, let, me, let me be honest. Let me be honest. Let me be honest. I know this by confession and revelation. By confession and revelation. Confession, because people have confessed to me. Revelation, what the Holy Ghost told me. I hadn't told you. He told me about you yet. When I look around this church, it's a whole bunch of mess. <laughs> Y'all crazy. Y'all got silent. <laughs> I ain't, I ain't tripping. I ain't tripping. It's a whole bunch of it's a whole bunch of stuff that's been confessed to me that I will take to my grave. <laughs> a pastor, I don't know. Don't nobody know. That's see. That's one of the burdens of a pastor. That's one of the burdens of the pastors. You not only have to carry your mess, but you carrying everybody else's mess. You understand what I'm saying? So I ain't tripping. I ain't tripping that it's messing the church. But when your mess start affecting the faith of other folks, I got to deal with you. 
I ain't mind you got a struggle. But now your struggle, your problem has become everybody else's problem in the church. Now it's time for us to deal with some things. And so when I confronted this individual, I did it out of not just love for them. I'm going to show you love for them, but I did it for love for the rest of the flock. Don't even say that, Pastor. I'm not going to say it. Don't say it. I'm not going to say it. I ain't going to say it. How are you going to confront me about it and your spouse was next? <laughs> but I'm standing there in my integrity. Listening to you dog me out about a decision I made and I saved your marriage. But nobody sees that. But you just carry that burden and you receive that negative feedback and you continue to pray for them that God opened their eyes because you can't say everything that you know. Everybody shout church discipline. So there are times when you confront one-on-one. -on -one. Then there are times when you bring two or three. Then there are times when you go publicly and you say, I, I, one, one of my, one of my uh, mentors, he told me this a um, couple of months ago, that he had one of his ministers, one of his ministers. And that's why, watch this. If you, if you I've, I've, only, I've only given, I think it's five, and they're my elders, the, 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 the actual right, and they've actually gone through training of marriage ceremonies. In this house, only my elders marry. Only my elders marry. If you're a minister, that gives you license to practice your ministry in the house, outside the house. So you go down the street and you preach. Who, hold on, who, who, what, what, what do you mean you call the priest? Well, my, my pastor laid my hands on me. I'm, I'm giving you the authority to practice and exercise in your ministry. But when it comes to marriage, it's only my elders that I give the authority to do that, either in my stead or outside. Are we, are we clear on that? So one of his elders, my mentor, one of his elders uh, married two women, married two women. And so he goes and he confronts one-on-one, and, and she says, well, Pastor, I, my, my theology has changed concerning marriage. And so he, he, he thought about it, processed it, took one of the elders and one of the deacons with him and confronted her again. And then after she confirmed that this is my stance on this particular deal, he took it public and he told the public, um, he, he demoted her. He didn't, he didn't put her out of the church, but this, this kind of, it's the same thing. He demoted her. And he publicly said that because of the nature of this particular sin and mindset, she is no longer considered an elder in this church. We love her. We embrace her. But she is no, and this is wise to do because whenever I promote somebody, I share in my authority. And there is a member, watch this, and, and my, my idea of authority is I want you to treat the person who I appointed just like you treated me. And I want you to respect their authority just like you respect mine. So if she's saying, hey, it's okay for two women to get married, then she's, re she's reflecting on me. And that's a bad reflection because that's not my stance. So he publicly said, in essence, this one is no longer to be trusted with spiritual counsel in this house. So if you come and you receive spiritual counsel, know that it's not with my stamp of approval. Now, at the end of the day, grown people are going to be grown. And I don't manipulate and I don't control at all. I don't do that. I don't do that. I had an individual did something just horrific, horrific. And I tried to confront them. I, I went through the biblical model. They just ran. And so when they came back and they start gaining the influence of folk in the church again, people came to me and said, Pastor, what do you think about this? I said, I don't trust them as far as I can see them. But I want them to mentor me, Pastor. If you want that, that mentorship, you can do that. But I'm telling you, your pastor can't, don't trust them as far as you can see them. So after that conversation, I had nothing else to say concerning their interaction. As a matter of fact, I really don't even want to hear nothing else about it because I told you what my thoughts were concerning that. But grown people are going to be grown. I'm not in the business of control. <laughs> I'm going to let that marinate. I'm not in the business of controlling people. I'm only in the business of loving people. So in this exhortation, when it comes to excommunicating or excluding people, here is the wisdom that the Apostle Paul gives, 1 Corinthians 5. Listen to these words. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and the kind that even pagans do not tolerate. He says in the ch church of Corinth, y'all doing some stuff 
that folk in the world despise doing. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, most theologians would say that this is not his mother, but his, his dad's, uh, his, the, the son's ex, not, what's that, stepmother, okay? Paul says, verse number two, and you are proud. In other words, y'all just, y'all just kind of lax about this situation. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of the fellowship the man who has been doing this? So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. This this language, I want to deal with this language in verse number five because Paul, this is not the first time he's going to say this. He says it again in 1 Timothy uh, 1, 19 and 20. The Bible declares, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So what is this idea of handing over to Satan? Practically, it's excommunication. Spiritually, it's lifting of the protective hedge. What's, what's, what's up with handing over to Satan? What, what's this, this excommunication? How was that the case? Watch this. Where two or three are gathered, what does Jesus say? I'm in the midst. So there is a tangible presence of God that's available when we gather that's not available when you're in your personal prayer closet. Now, I know that's hard for y'all to receive because we're living in a generation now where they're encouraging excommunication. They don't even know it, but that's what they're encouraging. They're encouraging do church on your own. Because you can talk to God by yourself. You can, you can listen to God. You can do that all by yourself. But no, no, there's a spe- everybody shout a special blessing. Everybody shout special grace. There's a special grace when we come together. So Paul says, turn him over to Satan because watch this, watch this, watch this. What, what, if the devil is like a roaring lion, what does a lion have to actually go after? He don't go after the herd. He goes after the one in isolation. So excluding him from the, the presence Not just the omni, but the manifest presence of God opens him up to satanic attack on a level that he hadn't received. Practically, it's excommunication. Spiritually, it's lifting up the protective hedge, even as Job did. When you're amongst the people of God and right standing with God, there's a protection you have. There's certain things the devil can't do. Now, it's interesting because some of y'all are complaining about what the devil is doing right now. And I'm telling you, he could do much worse. He, He can do much worse. The people that I've seen leave this church out of season, now hear my heart, because I'm not speaking a curse on anybody, I'm just, I'm speaking by observation. The people who I've seen this, leave this church out of season, and people have left the church, and there are a lot of people that left for the right reason, there are a lot of people that seasons really was up, but the people who I've seen leave for the wrong reasons, their life did not go up, but it went. Because when you, ah, the Bible declares that God gives you pastors after his own heart. That's what the scripture declares. God gives you pastors. I, I believe that. I really do believe that. And if God gave you a pastor, that means you don't just choose your pastor. That's why if, you, if you're new, I want you to sit in a new members class because I, wanna, I want it to be clear whether this is a gift to you or not. Because if you, if you choose your pastor and it's not the one that God has for you, you're messing yourself up. Turn me down just a hair, please. Are y'all with me in this place? Spiritually, it's the lifting of a protective hedge. Five, again, he says, hand this man man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Everybody shout destruction of the flesh. Whenever the scripture says flesh, whenever the scripture says flesh, um, it's speaking of one or two things. It's either speaking of sin nature or body. Sin nature or body. So the destruction of the flesh can mean one or two things. It can mean, number one, heavy trials to encourage the taming of the sin nature. Anybody ever had a, your prayer life get better after you went through some trials? Anybody ever kind of drove closer to God after some heavy trials? So he says, turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In essence, in essence, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn up the dial, watch this, for the purpose of purification. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. 
Number one, it could mean that. Or number two, it could mean physical death, which in turn prevents the spread. Number one, prevents the spread of evil influence and increased reverence, fear for God. There are times, Ananias and Sapphira, God just says, I'm just going to take you to heaven. You done. You finish on the earth. Aching, you out of here. And I'm telling you, there are times when stuff goes on, God says, if, you, if you're going to continue to live like that, you're no use for me on the earth. Let me just go on and bring you to heaven. So the destruction of the flesh either speaks to heavy trials that, that encourage the taming of the flesh, or there are times when it's just physical death. Continue to read 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast, a little leaven, KJV says, leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast. And I know that's hard for some of y'all. I know it's hard. So that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. I wrote to you. Now, now look what he says in 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Just look at that statement. Now, Paul wrote this before. Verse number nine, he's written this before. Now he's clarifying it. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, here's the clarity. Verse 10, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. Paul is saying, um, if, if you took that literally, then you couldn't go to Walmart. <laughs> you couldn't go to school. You can go nowhere. So he clarifies it, verse number 11. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy. Right. He, he says, and, 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 and I've been here. I ain't just been here. I'm here right now. I'm here right now. I had, I had like two best friends. I had, I had like these fellas, man, we were so tight. Man, they're... If not, if not every day, Monday through Friday, at least two or three times a week, I'm going to talk to them or I'm going to go see them. Two, two individuals I was extremely tight with. Uh, one of the individuals, um, he came out of the closet and um, he, he said he wanted another man. Dissolved his marriage. It was just, it was crazy. I went to him. I'm like, man, you got to come on, bro. He's like, man, I, this is just, just, just what I'm going to do. I had to make a choice that I'm going to love you, but I can't kick it with you like that no more. I just, I can't, come, watch, watch this, watch this. If for no other reason, I don't want that spirit around my kids. I got my babies calling you uncle. <laughs> now I got to go and talk to my babies. That uncle thing, we was playing. <laughs> No, 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 watch this, watch this. No, I'm, I'm not gay bashing at all. I'm not, I ain't, I ain't even sin bashing. And then there are some of you all, let me, let me deal with this for a moment, because there are some of you all that's like, how can I say this? How can I say this? You using evangelism as an excuse to hang around people you just want to hang around. And I ain't got no problem with you hanging around folk that you want to hang around. Just don't lie on God. We be, we be talking about Jesus and I be talking. No, 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 no. At the end of the day, you might mention Jesus, but you ain't there by Jesus. You there because you like the environment and you like kicking it with. Just say that and don't lie on God. I never forget. Y'all remember when, some of y'all remember when we did the, um, the, the, the club evangelism? Yeah, I told, I, told, I told the whole church, I told the whole church, I'm going to be at Club Sensation, and what's that other one? Elaine's. I'm going to be there from 11 to 1. So if you don't want to see me, or you don't want me to see you, don't show up. I mean, I told the saints that I'm going to be on the, and, that, and we did. We took the whole prayer team out there. It was funny, because the club owners didn't mess with us, but the police did. The police look like, get out of here. <laughs> man, the, the, the club owner was like, man, we need this. Y'all, y'all, come on. We praying for folk there, witnessing the, I'm talking about, it was amazing. And I'll never forget, I was at, at, at Elaine's, at Elaine's, and one of my members, praise the Lord, walked out of there 
with somebody that wasn't her husband because her husband was out of town. And I knew her husband. And she walked out tipsy and said, ooh, pastor, we was just talking about you. Like, you lying. <laughs> you lying. Don't use evangelism and lie on God like that's the reason that you're there. Because watch this. Stop lying on Jesus because Jesus didn't hang around sinners. He ministered to them. Jesus hung with his disciples and with the Father. When Jesus got ready to kick it, he kicked it with the twelve. He kicked it with the Father in the mountain by himself. But when he got ready to minister, then he went down to talk to the 5,000. Then he went down to the... Y'all, some of y'all got that twisted. And you actually setting your own self up for failure. Are y'all with me in this place? Let me get back to my text. Somebody shall bless us, Lord. <laughs> I knew this was going to be a quiet Sunday. <laughs> But now I am writing, verse number 11, 1 Corinthians 5, 11, that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, or idolater, or slanderer, or drunkard, or swindler. Do not even eat with such a people. I had another individual brother I love very much, and he, he converted to, um, my man, he's it's, it's like just straight witchcraft right now. Like he's like a straight warlock, like right now. I mean, he's casting spells on people. He's doing that. And he went from being one of the most powerful men of God I knew. As a young, as a young man, like I, I had older mentors and people that I looked up to, but as a fellow brother in our circle, he was probably one of the most powerful I knew. Prophetically inclined, the gifts of, of spirit, crazy on his life. He went through an offensive situation and he didn't recover. And watch this. When he went to the devil, the devil didn't say, get rid of your gifts. He said, let me use them. So although I, I mean, I love that brother to this day, but I know we can't kick it like we used to because he be saying stuff like, hey, Greg, let me open you up to something, man. I got something I want to show you. Bro, you ain't got to show me nothing that ain't in this word. And let me help some of you all. Watch this. When, when, when you're trying to identify the counterfeit, all you got to do is study the original well. I feel that in my spirit because there are some of you all trying to prepare yourself for certain battles by studying the counterfeit so you can know all the arguments. And there's a danger in doing that sometimes because you can become so involved that you become convinced against what you're trying to speak against. Now, I ain't talking about being closed-minded and you can't read. I'm not, I'm not being legalistic, but I spend the majority of my time studying the authentic, the real. And when you really know the real, anything that's a fake, you can be like, nope, that's a fake. No, that ain't it. That ain't it. That ain't it. That ain't it. How you know that ain't it? Because this is it. Are y'all with me? 12, he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Now, this is Paul. Paul says this. He says it's our responsibility to judge the inside of the church. We actually got it twisted. We judging the outside of the church. Some of us are becoming overly political, judging the outside of the church. Again, I'm not against politics. I'm not against you supporting. I'm not. But as a believer... If we really going to judge, we need to judge what's going on in the house. God will judge those outside. So he says, expel the wicked person from among you. This is the form, again, of exclusion or excommunication. So this is what I want to do. I want to show you, I've shown you God's heart concerning discipline. Everybody shout, discipline is good. Matter of fact, it ain't just that it's good. Discipline is love. 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 Chat, come here for a second. Chat, come, 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 come. Watch this. Watch this. You good right there. If I approach him one-on-one, -on -one, I'm doing it because I love you. I'm doing it because I love you. He don't hear, and I bring one or two with me to approach him again. Man, why am I wasting this much time? Because I know you heard me the first time. But you know what? I'm willing to go through the motions to, to, to get to you because I love you. If I tell the whole church, it ain't because I'm just trying to prove that I'm right. No, it's because I love you. I'm trying to, 
I'm trying to eliminate hiding places in the church. And if I do excommunicate you at the end of the day, it really is because I love you. I ain't trying to hurt you. <laughs> I, okay, watch this. I got um, um, Aisha and Nathaniel are probably, they have been my easiest children to discipline. Because I can just look at them and they'll cry. <laughs> Real talk. Aisha growing up, I ain't have to say nothing. I ain't have, I, it's, I, it's a lot of discipline I ain't just have to do. I just look at her, she start crying. Nate the same way. It's like you heard it. You look at Nate wrong, you mess his whole night up. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, Nate walked in the room. He, his eyes red, he was just looking sad. My wife said, what you do to him? <laughs> I ain't do nothing. You had to do something. I looked at him. <laughs> I can do that with uh, Nate and Aisha. But Greg Jr., Charity, and Teresa, that's a whole other ball game. <laughs> you look at them jokers, they'll look back at you. <laughs> you understand? And some of y'all know what it's like. You got that kind of mild-mannered, easy child. Then, watch this. This won't work for this child. But because you love them, to prove the point, you're willing to take it to the next level so you can understand that this thing is serious. So even if there is a excommunication, everybody shout this out of love. And I want, to show you, I want to show you God's heart even when it comes to excommunication. 1 Corinthians 5 and 5, he says, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? So that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. And he needs to know that this is a serious issue. Sleeping with your daddy's wife is a serious issue. And if you won't listen, if you won't accept correction, then you know what? Let's go ahead and turn you over to Satan. Go ahead and go through them extra trials. You'll come to your senses. 1 Timothy 1.20, he says, Whom I have handed over Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. To be taught not to blaspheme. But, but here's the deal. This is why it's love. This is why it's love. Because every effort of discipline should be for restoration. And did you hear that? Every effort of discipline should be for the purposes of restoration. If I discipline my child, I ain't doing it so I can feel better. That's called abuse. But I'm proving the point because I want you to be restored back to the place where you're supposed to be. So when God disciplines us, no matter what form it is, personal one-on-one -on -one confrontation, two or three, going public with it, even excommunication, again, is, even that is for the purposes of restoration. Because that's what happens in 2 Corinthians. We read in 1 Corinthians where this guy is sleeping with his, dad, with his stepmother. So Paul says, we've already gone through these procedures. We've confronted him. We brought two or three. Now turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Turn him over to the enemy to allow the enemy to taunt him, watch this, to drive him back into the presence of God and the presence of the people of God. So when you pick up 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse number 6, Paul is going to have a conversation about this same guy again. He says, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to, everybody shall forgive. Forgive and what, y'all? Comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excess sorrows. The devil is a liar. To that parent, to that pastor who places a stigma on, what, what is that called? The scarlet, the scarlet, the scarlet letter that puts a mark on you as you the one that failed. And now for the rest of your life. I, we, when we was in Jamaica, we, we wound up witnessing to this one lady. Um, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. Your own mind folk approaching me because when you approach me and I don't want you to approach me, you're going to hear about Jesus that day. That's usually my sign of witness. <laughs> Since you bothering me, I'm about to bother you. <laughs> you finna ask me about something I don't want to hear, I'm finna, I'm finna talk to you about something you probably don't want to hear. So they, they, lured, they lured us into this, this, this presentation, which I hate. And let me tell you why I hate them. Because my wife and I, we always on one accord in the beginning. We ain't buying nothing. We ain't getting timeshare. We, no, we ain't doing nothing. And then we get in a meeting and she turn on me. 
her and the salesman looking like, what you gonna do? <laughs> and I'm like, I thought we was in agreement. So a lady wound up witnessing to her and um, she told us why she left the church. She said, I'm trying to get back, but this is the reason I left. She was 14 years old and she got pregnant and um, they, they stood her up in front of the whole church. Stood her up in front of the whole church. And, and from that moment on, the entire church, in essence, they called her a whore. That's what they did, they called her a whore. She's not a whore, she made a mistake. Now the individual that slept with 10 members in my church, that was a whore. She just made a mistake. She got pregnant. Here's the crazy part, and I've actually seen this, I've seen this before, where they stand the woman up, but they don't sit the. Where the one that they got her pregnant? Hmm? Yeah. I've literally seen this. They demoted the sister, but the brother, he kept doing everything he was supposed to do in the church. The devil is absolutely a liar. Yeah. Bless us, Lord. He says, now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed with excess sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Because some of y'all, y'all, y'all it's easy for you to, to talk about what they ain't did. But sometimes it's hard for you. And praise God, we're about to go into a series on anger. Because that sometimes you just need to calm your own little self down. One of the reasons I approach my kids with caution is because whatever you've done, I probably did it. I did it. <laughs> I do get on to them for not cleaning their room, but I can't get on too hard because my dad, my dad always got on to me about not cleaning my room. Crazy self used to go in there and say, if you won't clean it, I'll clean it. And he'll pick up everything on the floor and put it in the trash. And I'm looking like, you just bought that toy. <laughs> I already did that. Everything. So if, 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 if your tone is here with dealing with the correction, and we talked about this last week, when it comes to reaffirming you, re-embracing you, it should be here. I used the example of my nephew last week. That boy was acting up. But I needed to communicate to him that my love for you has nothing to do with your actions. I still love you. But I'm going to always be on to you when you do stuff that ain't in line with what's, what's right. So this brother, he's been excommunicated. He is at a place of repentance. Everybody shout repentance. Amen. Now there's some of you all, thank you Jesus, you embrace people too fast. You embrace people too fast because you need the comfort of their relationships. Oh, that's good. I'm going to let that hang right there. Thank you, Jesus. There are some of you all, even in marital relationships, where your spouse have done some things and they need some time. They need some time. But you embrace them too fast because you're but lonely. When God says, I ain't done working on them, they ain't ready yet. They need more time. But because you're lonely... You interrupt what God is trying to do on the inside of them. And sometimes in the church that happens, and you think you're helping people, but actually you're hurting them. I see it amongst my children from time to time. One to do something wrong, and then they'll go to the other one. They'll tell them the other one, the other one to comfort them. But in all actuality, why are you comforting them like that? What's in you? It ain't like they didn't deserve or didn't need what happened to them. You got to be careful you don't get in the way of what God is trying to do on the inside, inside of somebody. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ. For your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. That's interesting because here comes Satan again. The same Satan that, was, that, that the individual was turned over to, he shows up again. And this time, he won't affect the individuals. He's affecting the folk that turned him over. Because if your heart ain't right, the same devil that tormented them, now he's coming to torment you. Now, I'm done, but it's a couple of things I want to say. And I want to pray for a couple of people. 
Write these three things down if you're taking notes. Number one, biblically grounded. Number two, emotionally whole. Number two, number three, mature in love. Number one, biblically grounded. Number two, emotionally whole. Number three, mature in love. Yeah. Before I cover them, let me say this. There's a difference between sin and preference. There's a difference between sin and preference. There are times when somebody's actually sinned, and then there are times when they just didn't do what you wanted them to do. And you can't beat somebody. You can't, you can't, you can't discipline somebody over something that ain't a sin. It's just a preference. I just didn't do it the way you wanted me to do it. I did do it, and I could stand some correction or some direction, but not a rebuke over that. And as parents, sometimes we're even guilty of that. The kid didn't sin. He just didn't do it the way you wanted him to do it. Are y'all with me? Did y'all write these three things down? Biblically grounded, emotionally whole, mature in love. Whenever you have a pastor, a boss, or a parent that don't correct out of these three, it won't be correction or rebuke. It will always be abuse. If they're not biblically grounded in the word of God, if they're not emotionally whole themselves, and they're not mature in love, please don't correct me and you don't love me. Don't do that. Please don't correct me and you yourself crazy. Come on, somebody. You yourself are not healed. You yourself are not whole. Please don't correct me. Just pray for me. Just tell me and just move on. Because if you come at me and you yourself not whole, you're going to hurt me. So this is what's happened in the body of Christ. And why so many broken folks and why it's so hard to teach a message like this. Matter of fact, some of y'all cringe when I said excommunication. You're like, oh, that ain't God. That ain't God. We accept everybody. I mean, yeah, that's that's good. That's good. But there's times when it it is appropriate. I'm teaching this message for two reasons today. Number one. Because we're continuing to grow as a church. It just happens. We're growing. And so, as a church, as a church, let me start here. Let me start here. As a pastor, (laughs) I made a decision that's not a common decision for a guy who started the church from ground up. Like, like, I started the church like with my family. It was like us. (laughs) I was a pastor, musician. My wife was the praise leader. Thank God. <laughs> the bus driver. The bus driver. <laughs> but I made a decision to erect a board and to submit myself to that board. I gave my board the authority to correct and to rebuke me. I gave them that authority. Why? Because I'm saying now, but I don't know what type of satanic or mental attack that I might be undergo in the upcoming years. So praise God, I got a, 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 an authority that if they need, for the sake of the people, to discipline me, it can be done. That ain't common, I'm telling you. And I need you to know in this house, whenever there is a correction, I've done it, number one, or first of all, under the advisement of my spiritual father's mentors and my executive board. I've done, if I got to make a tough decision, and there are tough decisions that I have to make concerning people, I've already talked to them about it, and I have their at least majority approval concerning the direction that I'm getting ready to go. So if you see somebody that has been disciplined or somebody that's being disciplined in the house, you should, I want you to know that you got a pastor that did everything in his power to actually to restore them and not push them away. Because as we continue to grow, how many know the more people mean the more problems? It's quiet up in here. I'm going to say it again. The more people, the more problems. And not only the more problems, the greater the problems. It's stuff from time to time that I see that I'm like, man, <laughs> I wish we was back a church of 25. 
certain stuff I just wouldn't have to deal with, church of 25. Because you can, you can kind of govern, you can kind of manage a little bit <laughs> with 25 folk. But when you grow to 200, <laughs> and you got 50-some kids in children's church, and we got all y'all here today, and we continuing to grow as a church, there are times when I have to deal with it. Here's the real reason that um, I had to minister this. Because I heard God says that I want to heal broken people. I heard God say that. Some of you all wish, you wish you had a pastor or a leader years ago or a boss years ago that actually followed this step that approached you one-on-one -on -one privately to help you before they talk to the whole school, the whole office, the whole management team. You, you wish you had somebody that just took two or three. You wish somebody, even if they did excommunicate me from the group, they did it in a tasteful way. They did it out of love, with a heart of restoration. But there's some of you all here, you served under some souls who was jealous of you, intimidated by you, and start hurling spears at your head. And you wounded, you hurt. Some of you have had parents like that. Like we talked about last week, not the grace-based, but works-based parents. And it was harsh, and it was hard. And to this very day, you better. Tim, I'm good. To this very day, you better. This is, what, this is what bitterness does in the heart. This is what bitterness does in the heart. Tim, I'm good. Every time you approach somebody, you put up walls. So nobody can really know the real you. And there are times when you become irritated behind certain things and people don't even know that you're irritated because you got these walls up. So it's hard for you to form relationships and even if you do officially form a relationship, you only 50% in because you're always looking at it from a negative perspective. They're going to do something to drop me. They're going to do something to hurt me. They're going to do something. So you never hold in relationships. But God says today, I want to heal your heart. I want to heal you. I heard God say today, I want to heal you. I want to heal that brokenness on the inside of you. God wants you to be 100. God wants you to be your best self. But you can't be your best self in a broken state. So God says, be healed today. Heads bowed and eyes closed all over this building. Heads bowed and eyes closed all over this building. Thank you, Jesus. Because I want to know who it is I'm getting ready to pray for. Who I'm getting ready to pray for. Here's the individual I'm getting ready to pray for. It's not the one that's been broken. It's not the one that just had somebody that dropped them, because we all have had that. We, we've all had, have had that. But there's somebody in here, you're still suffering over the drop. You're still suffering over the rebuke. You're still, you're still grieved on the mistreatment. And God says today, today I want to heal your heart. If that's you with head bows all over this building, lift your hand, your right hand. I want to see who you are see you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Thank you. Here's the next step, and I want to challenge you to do it. You don't have to do it, but I want to challenge you to do it. Because I want to touch you today. I want to lay hands on you today. If you're the individual that raised your hand and you said, Pastor, I'm, my heart is still bleeding. I want you to come meet me at this altar real quickly. Quickly, quickly, come now. Come now. Come here. Come here. Straight across. Straight across. God is so good. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Aisha, come right here. 
Jazz, come here. Jazz, come here. Charlotte, come. Lav, come right here. Evan King, come quickly, quickly. Scoot over that way, over that way, over that way. Go, 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 go. I'm getting ready to talk to them for a second. This is what I need y'all to do. Pray for the gift of healing. I want you to pray. I want you to ask God for the gift of healing. Ask God for the gift of healing because he's getting ready to heal broken hearts. Chad, get this stuff out of the way, please, sir. If you came to this altar, I want you to look at me. So I have two questions, two questions. N number one, are you, are you ready? Y'all do me a favor, come on the stage in the corner. I want everybody looking at me. Come on the stage right over here in the corner. Everybody looking at me. Here's the question God gave me. Number one, are you ready to be healed? Ready to be healed. Are you ready to be healed? The reason God gave me this question is because many of you all have actually built systems and structures around your life to not get hurt again. It's like you got this, this system around you. Your, your mental, your ecosystem is designed to keep people at a certain distance. And if you accept that I want to be healed, there's some adjustments that you're going to have to make in life. There's some adjustments that you're going to have to make in relationships. And it's going to seem uncomfortable before, initially, but you're going to have to make that decision. So are you ready to be healed? Number two, is it, and more, most importantly, God says, are you ready to forgive? Listen, are you ready to forgive? Because you're going to have to release them. You're going to have to forgive. So this is what I want to do. Close your eyes. I want to apologize on the behalf of every parent, every pastor, every leader, every instructor, every teacher that misused you that abused you, that sexually assaulted you, that made inappropriate comments towards you, on their behalf, I confess that I was wrong in what I did. I confess to you, I'm sorry for the way that I treated you. I should have never said the things that I said to you. I should have never responded in the way that I responded. You were a David with a pure heart. And I'm confessing I was a soul with wrong motives and with the wrong heart. And today I'm confessing. I'm sorry. So this is what I want you to do where you are. I want you to forgive that man now. Forgive that woman. Go ahead and tell God, God, I, I release them. God, I forgive them. God, I forgive them. God, I forgive them. God, I release them. Come on, come on, do it now. Team, come. I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you. Come now. Now, now, now. I want the ladies to pray for ladies, men, pray for men. Start on this end right here. I want one intercessors with your hand in the middle of their back one on their shoulders, and I want you to decree healing. Start from this end right here. Start from this end. One in the center of their back, one on their chest. And I want you to decree healing. Come on, come on. One in the center of their back. One on their chest. Come on, heal, heal. Heal, heal. Heal, heal. God is healing you now. Come on. God is healing now. Come on. God is healing now. God is healing now. Heal, heal, heal. Heal, heal. Heal, heal. Heal. Jamie, come. Heal, heal. 
Sister Fawn, come quickly, quickly. Heal. Come on, come on. Center of the back. Heal, heal. Heal, heal. God says receive your healing now. Receive, 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 receive. God's healing broken hearts. God is healing broken hearts right now. God is mending broken hearts now. Heal, heal. 